you're listening to the Carrero Podcast. This is Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. We would like to introduce you to our new journal website. It's called CarreroJournal.org, spelled K-O-R-E-R-O Journal.org. And you can go there and see that we are making a call for articles and papers. And what we'd like to do is invite you as educators or researchers or even your students to write up and contribute to our online journal. And you can see the submission guidelines there. And also I would like to point you to our edxglobal.org website. And there you can see all of the great projects that our students are working on and our initiatives globally. And you can also make a donation through Venmo, PayPal with your credit card and get a tax exempt ID. So again, edxglobal.org to see what our students and we are up to globally and Carrero Journal to see our new online journal initiative. Thank you so much. Today our guest is Dr. Regina Meridian. She is a licensed clinical psychologist, children's author, speaker, consultant, and mental health advocate. In her clinical practice, Dr. Meridian works with children, adolescents, and adults who present with a wide range of emotional stressors. In her consulting work, she has spearheaded a variety of workshops not limited to the positive parenting, leadership, and employee satisfaction, communicating effectively and often presents on a wide variety of topics. Dr. Meridian is also a published children's author. Her first book, Frankly and the Worry Bees, was released during the pandemic as she found children and teens were having a difficult time connecting and staying motivated over Zoom. She has two more books as part of her Frankie series coming out in 2021 titled Frankie and His Homeschooling Adventures and Frankie and His Special Talents. All right, Regine, thank you so much for joining us today. So you grew up in Europe. We would love to know a little bit about your experience and what that was like for you. Uh, yeah, so thank you so much for, for having me. Um, so I grew up in France, um, did most of my schooling there. Um, and it was, you know, incredible, came to the U.S. at the age of 19. Um, so I have to say, you know, been exposed to quite a lot of different cultures and diversity, um, which, you know, has allowed me to just take on a lot of languages, which I speak French, uh, Romanian, um, lived in Israel for a bit, so Hebrew. Wow. And um, conversational Spanish, I think it's so important here, um, especially yeah. in Southern California, so but in France, uh, in the schools, Spanish is like our second language. So, Interesting. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. Um, so how did you get to speak Romanian? So, uh, well, culturally, right, I learned from my grandparents and okay. spoke it at home. Um, and, you know, we would go visit every, every summer, every holiday we had, spent it um, in Romania. So with my grandparents, cousins. So I got exposed to that as well, which was really, was really nice. And um, the last two years of my, uh, so high school, so 11th and 12th grade, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I lived in Bucharest, actually lived there. It was no longer oh. a vacation there. 
Um, and that was because of my mom's job. She would travel a lot. So due to her business, um, we were there. Wow. What a great opportunity. Um, you know, and, and I've, one of the things that I've always valued was just that opportunity to travel. Um, just because then you're learning much, much more, I, I think not, not only about the, um, about the places, but also about yourself too. Um, and so, so during these travels and, and during that time of, um, of coming, coming over to the, to the U S what, if you could reflect back, what, what were you learning about yourself? Oh gosh. Um, well, I, I think when I came here, I, you know, just, I'm just trying to reflect back. I think one thing you, you think about when you think of Los Angeles is we are a melting pot. Mm-hmm. And what I did notice, I mean, that's one thing I learned about myself is how diverse I felt and I am. And where, you know, although we live in such diversity, how I didn't feel that here was so interesting because in, you know, no one really, I mean, I'm just, I'm just kind of stepping back. I mean, no one really asks you and you're, oh, where are you from? What are you? What skin color you are? What, I mean, it's not really right. I don't know if you, 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 I can see you nodding, Willie. I don't know if you feel that same way. Um, but it's just so much more, I mean, that's just my experience growing up. I don't know now, cause I'm not there now, but it was just so much more inclusive. Right. So oh. I think in terms of, especially in the U.S., right, we're dealing with a lot of, right now, I mean, diversity is huge, inclusion is huge, this is the topics we see all over the news. Um, You know, I grew up in a very, I want to say, international type of environment and people and religions. Um, I mean, when I was in Israel, for example, I was exposed to, we had to learn, even though it was a Catholic school, I had to learn the Quran, the Torah, and the Bible. And such huge emphasis on respecting and loving one another. And at the same time, you have bombs going off, right? Right next door. I mean, it was, it was literally happening in the North of the country. So you had to, I want to say this, this feeling right now that I see even my kids, um, my kids are huge. I mean, gosh, especially my older daughter, uh, so big on diversity and inclusion and she's the first one to speak up when she sees something that's done wrong or someone said oh. a negative statement she's very very empowered that way I love that. Um, this is just so natural from her but I, I think it's because we just talk about it so much so I think that's one thing I just kind of reflected back through her and I say wow I mean I think this really stuck um and that's you know one of the things I feel I've, I've really brought on and Whoever I speak to, even my close friends that I grew up with, we all kind of feel the same way. It's it's so interesting. It's an interesting perspective. Uh, you said you went to a Catholic school in Israel and the focus on the other religions because I did my student teaching in a Catholic school here in the States and uh, we didn't, <laughs> I mean, granted it was an elementary school, but we didn't emphasize or acknowledge or really even talk about other religions at all. And I would make a guess to say that because of where you were physically situated in the world, uh, you were much more confronted with other religions. Uh, would you say that to be true or correct Yes, me I mean, I, yes, I think you make a great point. So this was, um, oh gosh, going reflecting back, this was in Yaffa, so which was about 10 minutes from Tel Aviv, which is highly populated Palestinian, right? Mm-hmm. It's a Palestinian uh, uh, city. 
and you know there with the the school was you know all french speaking but everyone was arabic most of the people were arabic so we had you know various religions um but it was very important to them. I mean, I remember, you know, I had, imagine you're 11th grade and girls are covered and you have to really respect that culture. I'm coming from a very modernized country. I'm coming from France. Yeah. To conservatism and you can't have, you can't even look at a boy without asking permission. I mean, these rules that wow. I had to adjust to so quickly and also not only adjust, but also respect how they felt and not judge. I mean, can you imagine nowadays you're an 11th grader and you have to adjust to that. You're like, well, you could see a lot of bullying going on. There was none of that. I, I was never exposed to never saw any bullying. All I saw was really just, I mean, they, they really did a good job was this love, kindness, compassion. I think because of exactly what you said, there was no difference. They made it equally important that you had to learn all three. Um, And the kids there, I remember they were so mesmerized oh my gosh, she's from France. She came from there. I, th- I think they were so enamored because this is the language they, they're taught in a right. Palestinian, you know, yes, I, I always respect them because they feel it's for them. It's, you know, they will always say this is Palestine. This is our, you know, they, they feel very strongly with that. Um, so very quickly, you kind of acculturate it to different foods and, and their ways. And, you know, you just, it was, it just made a lot of sense at the time. But I don't want to say I was kind of culture shocked. I mean, it was hard. I'm not going to say it wasn't. Um, but now that I step back, if you put me in any Middle Eastern situation with anyone, I just feel, especially here in, in, in L.A., we have the Persian community. We have the Armenian community. We have, um, you know, so right. we have a Hispanic community. We have We have so much connection. I think that anyone you encounter, we kind of feel that cultural bond, um, the, the, the family respect. I mean, it's just really nice to to have grown up with that (laughs) yeah I I love that sense of we are different and that's okay is you know kind of what I'm hearing from you and just I'm wondering how we can foster that in our schools in the states without without judgment and I think it's just really hard because we constantly focus on we are different and then you know what's wrong with that instead of like that's okay, and and tell me more. Let me learn more about that. We're we're kind of forced to make those judgments, and then I guess feel defensive for some reason, and and I don't really understand why. But um, gosh, I I just kind of like that philosophy, if you will. So, um, as an undergraduate student and a female in your in your field, and just to you know, understand because it's outside of our experience of education, did you have any um, difficulty with that or any unique experiences during your studies? Um, so I, I graduated so from USC, I studied international relations. Um, so it made very, a lot of sense for me to get into that realm, sure. <laughs> background. Um, and I wanted to, my dream was to work for the United Nations and UNICEF and that's just where I was going. I didn't even think twice. Um, but things took a turn. Uh, you know, I, I think life took a turn and, um, I, I realized that at the time where I was at, I, I couldn't just take up and move. I was offered a job in DC and it just didn't work out at the time. And so I was kind of left, well, what do I do now? Like, this is all I really know. 
And uh, through a lot of guidance, I, I remember my husband at the time was just telling me, you're really great with people. You're just such a natural, everyone kind of comes to you and is drawn to you. So have you thought of psychology? And uh, that's how I fell into psychology. It was just, yeah. I didn't twice about it. I was like, oh, okay. He goes, yeah, my aunt's a psychologist. Why don't you talk to her? She'll tell you more about the job. And then you can kind of see if you like it. And that's how it happened. It was literally within... Wow. It was a very impulsive move, I want to say. Uh-huh. And, um, I don't regret it. I mean, I'm, I feel so blessed. I think everything happens for a reason. And um, and took me down this route that I had no exposure to. When I say this, I didn't even know, embarrassingly, I didn't even know what a psychologist was. Do you believe this? I mean, I'm just even stepping back, thinking back in Europe. Nobody talked about therapy. Nobody talked about emotions, really. How are you feeling? Are you okay? There was none of that growing up. I don't really recall much of that. So then, um, let me just backtrack a little bit. So when, so here were you were you thinking about when you were moving to the U.S. at the at the age of nineteen? Were you thinking about inter, um, international re, re, relations and 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 that and. Um, and I could, I could totally understand how you could be thinking about that just, you know, just because of what, of, of what you were, you were going through or what you were, um, what your experience was, um, did now during, during your undergrad years, did you take any psychology classes or anything at the normal side, clinical, like obviously not, um, but yeah, that's just, you know, that just seems different. Yes, yes. So I did. I actually, well, part of, you know, a lot of the undergraduate courses is I did take a Psych 101 class. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting, but I wasn't like, for me, it was just getting the classes done. I have my goals, moving on yeah. to the next thing. Um, I mean, politics, I love it. Communication. I mean, it was just, it was just my, my area. It was, I, right. I had emphasis on Middle Eastern studies uh, well. and negotiation and, and things like that. So Actually, right after high, right after college, um, literally like a couple of days before graduation, uh, one of my professors, uh, who you know who was working for the State Department, but we didn't know it, he had offered me a job and uh, to come back and work in D.C. It was just it was a recruitment, just like that, and it was mainly my language skills. And so, oh my gosh, we could totally use you. But then it was then that I had to kind of really decide: is this an area I've been? Yeah. This is a commitment, and when I kind of figured all that out, uh, but no, I, I just like just took a Psych 101 class. That was it. <laughs> I had no I had nothing, no exposure at all. Yeah. Um, besides what's innate within me in terms of a person and just being there for people, and I would get called a lot the mommy regime growing up, uh, <laughs> just amongst my friends. I mean, wow. People knew that they would they would come over to my. I mean, this is just what they're telling me later. Like, oh yeah, Regine. Oh my gosh, you would cook for us. You would take care of us. You're just the caretaker. And it's so interesting because I never, I never realized that it was like, oh okay, that's how you guys see me. Um, but it was just kind of like more the comfort uh, that they felt. So it was interesting. Yeah, because I because what you're saying and. Is that you know a lot of as you as you probably know a lot of our students are are, are pressured at a very young age that this is what they're going to do and they're and the 
you know, and, and high school is preparing you, blah, 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 and all this stuff. So it's okay not to know what you want to do when you're going through college. <laughs> if, if you want to go to college. Yes, and exploring that part. I think it's important because I, I don't, I mean, in Europe, I don't know if you feel this, Malia, but you, by the time you graduate with your back international, it's a, it, you know, the, back, the baccalaureate uh, in 12th grade, um, you have to know, you do have to know what you want because people in Europe, they go straight from there to law school. You're an 18-year-old going to law school, medical school. Wow. It's, you almost immediately have to know. So it's interesting you mention this because I think that's why I was so primed with international relations because I just knew all the courses I took were very literature-based, science or scientific-based, and I just knew. So it was just finding once I got here. But I did see that. I agree with you. And because I went into an international system, I had to go to junior college. So I didn't even go straight into university. I had to go to junior college first, get my courses. And that was odd to me because it felt like such a repeat. Because in Europe, you know, kids, I mean, all the way up to 12th grade, you you don't have a life. It's all school, 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 wow. school. Um, I just remember that so heavily and you have a direction, right? It's just so clear. Right. And But I do feel that here too. I'm, I'm noticing now with this generation, Gen Z is a lot of the pressure into now getting into the most prominent school. It's like get into Stanford, Yale, or whatever it is. And if you don't get into those schools, you're nothing. I mean, the comparison with grades and the competition that concerns me that I feel is so unhealthy because you know, and I share a lot about my experience a lot of the times because I'm like, well, look, I, I had, I mean, growing up, I don't say I had no life growing up in high school, but it's not your typical high school years. All I remember is my nose in the books all day. I mean, this is all I could recall. If you really ask me, what do you remember? And the drive to just do well and pass this baccalaureate that was so intense or, you know, it's just... For a lot of students there, it's just a different, a different direction, a different lifestyle and, and path you take. Uh, but here, yes, I can see kids, you know, 11th and 12th grade. I can see my daughter already thinking about it and getting stressed out. You can't even, I mean, even the GPAs, how inflated they're here, 4.6, 4.8. Oh, you're a 3.8. Oh, gosh, that's like an F student. And this yeah. is how the mind is primed. Now, so then, so then, walk us through when you when you came to this realization that oh, like oh my gosh, I'm not doing this, but yes, I, I am going to really really go into this. How was that? Oh wow, you! Um, it's so interesting because as you were saying that, it reminded me about, and we'll get into that is how my book came about because it was the same. Um, it was the same pattern of thinking is so interesting in terms of the anxiety that I felt or the worry, so to speak. So, you know, now, I mean, this feels like a therapy session. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, When I, I think because of what I went through growing up and I had to assimilate and acculturate so quickly to different environments and people and religions and styles of life, no one preparing you for what's coming, no one asking you, oh, let me just prepare you so you know. And and as we're talking about this, let's really think about now we're getting out of a pandemic and the post-COVID stressors. 
Um, no one's really talking to you or prepping you from a trauma. This is still traumatic, I think, for any kid making a shift. Let's let's be realistic. Um, I had to adapt so fast and so quickly that there was no time to think of failure or sit there and ruminate in, in the sadness of any loss. So when I, and this was a loss for me, realizing, wow, I spent all this time at USC studying hard and, and getting here to deciding not to do this now. Well, okay, psychology came, it made sense. And within my last semester at USC, this is the crazy part of it, I didn't want to waste any time. So I was going to, you would know this, right? I went to four different schools while my last semester at USC. So I went to two different junior colleges in that semester. And I went to UCLA every school because I had to like quickly get all my undergrad psych courses because that was going to meet requirement to get in in the fall. Uh-huh. For me, psychologically, to have that loss of one more year, it was terrifying for me. So I was like, no, I'm going to do this. And I just d- dived in. I didn't think about it. I found the classes, took them, was driving everywhere, um, sometimes up to midnight, studying, finishing USC, IR, right? Knowing I wasn't going to do it just to finish it. And then doing all my four mandatory undergrad classes, like you said, uh, you know, abnormal psych, organizational psych. I had to take all these undergrad classes basically I had to do a psychology year in a semester <laughs> and you know and so that so there was no really it was kind of like this fight or flight response that I felt um now that I look back but it wasn't something I really thought about I just knew I had to do it and I just did it wow. yeah it's it's That's interesting amazing. when you throw yourself into it you don't give yourself an opportunity to actually think about it and like talk yourself out of it <laughs> Like yeah. how, how much you can actually achieve because like, had you, I don't know, taken a moment, you'd be like, well, you know, what's the harm in taking a year to do this? I could, you know, have some more sanity and whatever, but you can do it, right? Like you did it. You didn't probably socialize with anyone during that time, but <laughs> <laughs> commuting around the Los Angeles area was probably was a, a nightmare as well, but um yeah, that's kind of cool that you were like all a carding your degree from all of these different universities. Oh my gosh. When I think back now, yes, I like what you said is I think when we think too much about something, we do end up talking ourselves out of it. Um, I think sometimes you just have to listen to your intuition and dive into it um, and just do it, right? And, and not think twice. And I think that with our kids nowadays, honestly, you know, I, I feel there's too much thinking. There's sometimes there's there's too much too many options right in a way um where you know they're not really feeling this 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 urgency but again I think this also comes from experience right yeah um very innate for me to just dive into that and just do it and just think that way because it was just uh it was a survival it was like getting out of a war zone what do you do well you just go you just you know you ask people often How'd you get out of there? How'd you do that? And you just light. I mean, another story that's just parallel to this is um, it was the summer that I was in Israel and we were in, I was staying with some, a family. We're up in, I was up in North uh, close to Lebanon and, um, and we were, so I was there with my sister and there were, there was actually bombings happening from Lebanon into that town. 
And my dad at the time was in France. He was, he was in France. He, he had gone for a couple months and then we were there. And, um, uh, it was, it was kind of like a nice retreat area. It was really a great experience, <laughs> but it was like, okay, you guys need to get out of there. And so literally where I, I remember these, I mean, as the bombs were flying, I just remember us, some stayed in the bomb shelters and we were just, okay, sure. Um, going back to Tel Aviv and took a bus and went straight back. So I do remember these, these vivid memories. Yes, was scared, but as a teenager, it just was that fight or flight response to safety. You don't think about, you know, you just, you're thinking survival. So I think that's what it meant to me. The switch from my art of psychology was survival. And well, there's no option of failing here things happen in life you have to make a choice and you just move on yeah and it, it works out for you it's worked out for you whereas some people oh, yeah. who might freeze right and that I mean that's a response as well but um it's pretty and then you're seen from the outside as being very resilient and very like um like a high achiever right very motivated which is great but also based a lot on your experiences as you talked about like growing up and being put into a lot of different situations and just having to figure it out it builds a lot of resilience in you as an adult where you're just like oh, I can I can do anything <laughs> kind of like the superpower <laughs> yeah and I think I this is a lot of things that I try to to teach always is increase you know teens I hear all the time from parents is lack of motivation my kids just not motivated and I feel that sometimes we need to put them in these kind of difficult situations and give them these opportunities to kind of fight for themselves versus us as parents doting on them and doing everything for them, right? Um, even, you know, from a young age, like, you know, if my kid's ordering something at the restaurant, you know, my 10-year-old, I'm not I'm like, okay, do you know what you want? Go ahead and you put in the order. You do it for yourself or if you have a question to ask, I want you to go up to the person and ask that question. You want to make an appointment? Yeah, pick up the phone and make the appointment. Um, I feel like if we do everything for them, it just crushes all this experience of, and I think I, that's where I see a lot now is right now we have a high rise in anxiety, social anxiety, uh, fear of even going up to a teacher and asking a question. Uh, you know, there's all these we're living in such a time of fear, right? Even with COVID. And um, I think right now we have to teach them this resilience. So this is the time right now. So, so then let's, yeah. Let's, so then let's, let's talk about that for, um, is I, I'm, I'm still connected with high school students and, and there's some that are, that have always talked about psychology. So what, what recommendation or can you, can you talk about what it takes to be a licensed clinical psychologist? So I, I think what's really important, I feel, in our field is, first of all, to, to think about, because uh, what I get all the time, I'll get this from clients, are you okay? Like, I know I'm your last client, like, are you, they'll ask me if I'm okay, it's so interesting. And wow. Yeah, and I think it's so beautiful because it comes from a place of empathy for them, knowing that you've had X amount of clients that day, right? This would happen more when I was in the office and they would, they would show up by 7 o'clock and they would know that I was there from, let's say, 12 that day or 9. 
and, and then knowing that, wow, do you still have energy for me? I think that's what they're saying. Do you still have time to hear my problems or hear my issues? And it's so interesting because I never saw it that way. And I would always say, no, I just love so much what I do. But what that means is when I know you can walk out the store feeling good and empowered and feeling better than when you entered, that to me made my day. And that actually motivates me even more for the next person coming. So, um, and I think what's important with a person wanting to do in this, this field, and I have students ask me all the time about clinical psych and getting into it. I said, you have to, first of all, be able to, and you'll learn this through time, is detach, right, from someone's emotions. You can feel what they're feeling, but, you know, not crying with them and not, they, they need to feel a sense of strength from you because that's why they're coming. And you being able to not take these problems home. This is the number one key is when you walk out that door, you're leaving everything there. Even marriage family therapists, they say this all the time. When you walk out the door, you're not coming home and being the therapist at home. Um, and I've, I've practiced that to others. So when I come home, I'm just regime. There's no psychology there. I don't do psychology on my kids. I'm not a therapist. Even with my friends, sometimes I'll have to literally think about it well, how would I do this if I was in the office? Okay. You have to literally switch that brain because I just yeah. do it naturally. I'm just yeah. me. Um, and I think that's important. I think that's very key because sure. it's not to lose people around you. No one's going to want to be therapized and, you know, oh gosh, this feels like therapy, but you don't, you don't, you know, <laughs> I think that's really important. So I feel that teenagers, especially if you work with high schoolers, they know right? They're very aware whether they can do this or not. They'll say, oh yeah, no, that's, that's not for me. I just can't, I can't hear people's issues all day. I just can't do it. And others will feel that it comes very natural to them. And then that's what they want to do. Yeah. I think it's definitely something like you said, your husband at the time would told you that, uh, or pointed out what he saw in you and how people came to you and they trusted you and you probably had just that sense of um, empathy or just that people that you like actually cared about what they had to say and offered perhaps good advice. Um, and I, I would venture to say, and I, I think um, I've heard you say it today, but during COVID, um, anxieties on the rise and social isolation or social anxiety. Can you talk a little bit about um, what this pandemic, uh, how it's affecting people that maybe like patients that you're seeing or people that you're seeing, or maybe even, um, you know, friends or family members, um, who maybe might not have had, um, any of these issues or anything before the pandemic. Yeah. Well, I, I think first of all, you know, the media, the news, uh, what we're constantly being fed. I mean, especially you go from kids, teens, adults, I mean, the devices and, and we're constantly exposed and imagine I, I'm just envision like these headlines, mass deaths, so deadly, this, that, I mean, we're primed this way for this last year into, into, and absolutely it's had deadly effects on many right around the country, around the world. Um, I think we can all anywhere in the world, we can connect and, and feel that sense of isolation and what it was like. Um, but for kids, I saw it right away in March. I, I had to adjust very quickly to Zoom 
never done Zoom before, uh, doing therapy this way. Uh, a lot of people were shying away from it. They were scared. Oh, this is not the same. It's definitely not the same as in person. Um, so immediately I saw anxiety rise. I could see kids becoming more worried. They were worried about getting sick. They were worried about, well, when am I going to go back to school? And then the constant messaging of, oh, we're going to go back in a month. We're going to go back in two months. Then summer came and then fall. Oh, we thought we were going to be back in the fall. Oh, and the right. right. And the disappointment um, of not even trusting authority. Right. And now this week, even my kids first time full time back this week. And um, I, I have several things that are on my mind just from a psychological standpoint is, you know, I, I know a lot of schools have transitioned easily back, and I'm not sure, Fred, what it's like for you for the high schools, but they have transitioned slowly back. I mean, my kids are in private, so they've, you know, they, they, they want to get people back in school as, you know, as, as safely as they can. Um, however, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm a fan of how they're going back, so to speak. I think more about mental health. I'm not hearing about anything mental health. I'm very concerned about that. I'm, administration's not talking about it, especially, for, I mean, I'm just talking from my experience in, in the schools my kids attend. And I think mental health is important because this is not about just making it COVID safe. That's all great. But have you thought psychologically what it's like for kids to be in a classroom all day? Just think about pre-pandemic, pandemic with masks, with these glass shields around the desk, um, with all these rules, you have to stay three feet apart, six feet apart. You can't play with this. You can't do this. You can't do that. And how traumatizing that is for a child, right? Um, because in their little minds, they're thinking, oh, even the high schoolers, well, I'm going to be going back to what? Oh, we're going back. Yay. It's like what it used to be. And now they enter the classroom site noticing that it's nothing like it was and just reports i've been getting is kids are not happy I'm telling you this right now uh they they don't want to go back to school they're actually more anxious now i think we're gonna this is just the beginning uh, i think in the next month or so well by the time they get out of summer i think we as therapists are going to be very busy because we're gonna see a lot of anxiety on the rise due to they need three months to adjust to this, right? Think about it. And already they're throwing them in a classroom. They have to take tests. Yeah. You're going, I mean, these kids have not taken tests in a year. They've been at home. They've been relaxed. So have we, I mean, there's a lot of adults too scared of going back in the office setting because they're just not used to that routine. We all need adjustment. Um, so I think that all plays a role. I don't think necessarily it's the fear of the virus. I think we're all getting vaccinated. We're getting to where we need to be. I think it's more of the environment that they're worried about in terms of, I think they're grieving. I think this looks more like post-traumatic stress. They're grieving, right? What kind of advice or, I guess, suggestions would you have for current teachers? A lot of our audience are current teachers or future teachers. What would you say, how would you recommend addressing some of these anxieties that their students have about, you know, being in the classroom now for the first time in a year? 
Well, I'm, I'm very hopeful um, and, and I wanted to share with you, I'm so glad it, the audience are teachers. Uh, I started a project, it's called Team Project Rise with um, quite a few educators and we have psychologists uh, and I felt that teachers are going to be like first time, they're gonna be like first responders on the ground. They're gonna be with the kids, right? For most of the day, they are going to need, they have to be trained. Um, and teachers don't know what they don't know. So we can't blame them for not, for example, something happens, but they don't see the sign. They have to be trained to see the signs. Um, and some of the signs could be this. Again, we've never been through a pandemic. So I'm just going through things that I'm seeing, things that I did foresee and are already happening. Um, but we're going to see depression, suicidality, suicidal thoughts on the rise. We are going to see um, social anxiety. I think there's going to be a fear of uh, oof, hypochondriac. You got to think about anxiety is, uh, is like a bubble. And within anxiety, there's all these branches of different types, such as OCD, social anxiety, um, the type A personalities, the perfectionists. Um, you have the you know, the social, there's gonna be a lot of social, maybe detachment issues, separation anxiety, test anxiety. Oh my gosh, I can go on and on with this. And um, the way this could present in a child is this, uh, from absences to, um, you know, uh, uh, with feeling withdrawn, not turning in assignments, um, a sudden loss of motivation and, uh, and, and so much more. So there's a lot of signs that a teacher can notice in the classroom. And I think the big thing that we're advocating for is mental health training so that they can recognize the post-COVID, I call it, we call it the post-COVID stressors in the classroom so that they can say something like, this is so powerful to say to a student, wow, I, you know, how can I help you? I'm noticing that you're struggling on this, or I'm noticing that you didn't turn in these two assignments. I don't want to just give you an F, but I'm going to create a conversation with you. You mm -hmm. see? So it's when, when you see these are red flags, they're not just not turning it in because they just didn't want to. That's a sign right there. Um, maybe they're getting consistent Fs in a subject. What's happening there? You know, maybe they haven't let a parent know. I mean, these are all little signs to kind of keep our eyes out for. And um, I, I, I would really love to see teachers start the day with a mindfulness exercise. Let's put school aside. Come on in. How are you all feeling? Let's do a three-minute, five-minute mindfulness exercise. Uh, I always talk about this. My favorite app is UCLA Mindful. A teacher could just put it on their phone and let's everyone close your eyes and let's do this three-minute. And after they're done, let's say one grateful thing we feel for today and one positive thing about yourself. Now, you don't have to say it out loud. You can say it in your thoughts. And let's start the day. Now, what the teacher has done there is they have created an immediate bond of empathy with their classroom. And now kids feel less threatened, right? They feel now, oh, wow, I, I love this teacher. Now I can go up to him or her and ask questions. And it breaks that authority barrier. Not respect. Respect is important. I'm talking about the authority of teacher-students where we have to come parallel, hand-to-hand. -hand. This has to be a collaboration of work together, right? This is how I always saw my teachers as 
mentors, collaborators, people that I could go to to ask help. I can't tell you um, how many times students are so afraid to ask a question. I love that. I, I would say that the best thing that I've gotten out of the uh, pandemic is meditation. That's a practice that I've taken for myself. I use the Calm app, but I, I also have the Mindful app. Um, and that's something, too, that I've shared with my uh, former students was, you know, take care of yourself. But I also love the idea of no matter what age, what level of student, you can still do a few minutes of mindfulness. And it really does just help reset and it helps them... Um, you know, connect with themselves and just slow down a minute. But I like that you pointed out that it creates a bond with the student, which isn't um, something that I thought about until you said that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and that's, you know, and there's, I'm, one of the things that I'm always upset about as an educator, I'm upset about a lot of stuff about education. <laughs> um, Not being so upset. <laughs> yeah, it's, and maybe I need to come to you to just, a, blah, yeah, here, <laughs> this is everything, um, is, is that a lot of, a lot of educators have been pushing for at least like, uh, like in teacher ed to, to really talk about things like empathy. Once, once kids understand that, that their teachers care about them, then they'll do anything for them, you know. If you know, and and I'm and I'm coming in from just a secondary education background, is that if if uh, you know, I, I think students did well in my history classes not because they liked history, but 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 for the reason that we would we would spend the first three to five minutes kind of like what, you know, you were, you, you, you were saying, Hey, so, you know, how was that football game on Friday? How was that tennis game on Friday? You know, how was this? How was, you know, how was your weekend? Um, you know, and they, and making positive phone, well, positive phone calls home, you know, and, and I think, I think finally educators are, are looking at not just, you know, not just what Skinner's been saying, but now what Maslow has been saying, and and you know all of these all these different educators, where where we're now finally looking at a child as like a student, and I think that high school students are children <laughs> still, um, as as these real life people that are going through through real life stuff. Um, and so, so one of the, like, like one of the questions that, that I wanted to ask is like, are you finding that there's specific groups that are having more difficulty with the pandemic than others? If it's younger, older, cultural, ethnic? Um, I feel that, well, I, I feel that it's, it's been the same all around. I, I can't, mm -hmm. I, I haven't noticed a, a difference in a specific, you know, age group or culture. I mean, I think definitely always across the board, even pre-pandemic, middle schoolers always have the toughest time with adjustment, right? Because they're learning oh. about themselves, identity, and um, adjusting to middle school and the changes. But I no, I haven't really. Um, I, I think, I think for kids who've been through coaching or therapy during the whole pandemic are are going to be better prepared. 
because they've had that emotional unload, so to speak, or that person that they've been talking to and to really walk them through all these um, things. For example, one question I would get is, well, how do I minimize uh, the post-traumatic stressors or COVID stressors? And one of the things I thought would, would have been so helpful is, let's say you have a group of fifth graders or sixth graders returning back, is to give them a tour and I mean, this takes work, right, on the part of the administration, but to give them a tour of the facility uh, so they can visually see what to expect. Okay, this is how the classroom is going to look like. This is how it's going to be. Um, but I'm still here for you. And, you know, this is just temporary. And not making, because when they see these shields all around the desks, I think it looks really scary and it creates a separation, even in the high schools, right? It creates a separation in our social connection. In high yeah. school, uh, there, you know, there, there's this constant also policing. And of course they have to do it because of, you know, safety reasons. We understand that we're all understanding this. It's not about devaluing what COVID is. This is about, I'm just talking about the mental health component that we really need to talk about. This is so vital. We can't just say, oh, hey, uh, there's the, th the therapist at the school. You can go see her at any time. This I'm seeing coming through. But I'm gonna, I have news for schools. Kids are not just going to walk into the therapist office. We as a community, as administrators, as teachers, we need to talk about this so that we decrease the mental health stigma because no one's going to walk through those doors. That's the reality. They're there. The facilities are there. I'll have a lot of school psychologists and therapists say, well, no one came into my office today. And you know kids are struggling, right? Um, so this checking in process is so important. Just like we said, start the day with meditation or mindfulness. We have to start this conversation and saying, hey, guys, look, I know this is hard for you, right? I know that, you know, being three or six feet away on campus and not being able to eat lunch together in the cafeteria like we used to and not being able to go to the football games and not being able to have prom. And this is hard, I know. And um, because that's a grief for them, They're, they've lost a lot. I, I'm just thinking to my high schooler, you know, she she started at her high school, ninth grade, right? So all of ninth, end of ninth grade from March on was lost. All of 10th grade is lost. She's decided not to go back this last semester. She's not, and I support her completely. And she said, and I said, why? And she said, mom, it's just, well, first we have transportation issues a little hard, um, but also because she felt, you know, I, I, I think she's still grieving, right? I think there's that grieving of how things used to be. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think that's, that's the pain too. And they want to go back to finally in the fall, we're all hopeful. I hope that in the fall, things will be a little more normalized, right? Um, Cause it's tough on kids. That's so I tough. think as a parent, right? We have to be, I'm, I tell parents all, you have to hear them out. And if they want to stay home and that feels good for them for now, but with the understanding that, you know, September comes along or you're, you're returning back. I mean, can't stay home forever. Um, I think we have to give them that opportunity to make that choice. I, I think that's reasonable um, because they're, they're not emotionally and mental, from a mental health perspective, they're not ready to go back under certain circumstances. I think it just has to make sense, right? There's some schools that are only 15 in a class. It makes sense. They're doing 
great. Other schools can't do that. So the public schools, I, I don't know, Fred, which school you're at. I'm just curious what it's like, too, because um, public schools, they have more students, yeah. less teachers. I can just imagine what it's like for them doing all this. Yeah, and I, I think one of the one of the difficulties that I that I now have with schools is what businesses are thinking about now is re reframing how they do business because there's uh, I think I I read where some some major companies are selling their company property, be, you know, for the for the simple reason that they're able to get work done and everyone doesn't have to come into an office, you know, and so what they're doing is they're downsizing dramatically. Um, one of the problems with with education is that we're going through this pandemic and students are still learning online. So why you know why not have an option for kids who might want to stay at home? Um, you know why not have hybrid hybrid courses or high flex types of you know types of opportunities? Um, you know why do we always now think okay to to get back to normal? We have to, everyone has to be back into a classroom when there's kids that, that may be going, look, I don't, I don't want to go there. I'm, I'm learning perfectly well here. Um, so, so yeah, that's where I'm, that's where, that's where I fall is that, you know, I, I think this is a conversation that, you know, parents should have with their kids, um, you know, and, and we always want to say that we need to get back to normal when, if we looked at normality wasn't working out because we weren't talking about mental health. Um, and, and now we're talking a little bit more about it, but not as much as we should. Um, but also uh, we can't just jump back to normal. You know, we need to transition back to normal because we jumped into this abnormal <laughs> and that, you know, was because it was an emergency. It was a pandemic, but we can't jump back into what we knew before. So let's take a pause and learn from it and transition. And, and like what I hear you saying, Regine, like go and ask the students what they need. Uh, take a moment to see um, where they're at and, and meet them where, the, where they are to provide the best learning experience for them. Yeah. So with all that you've been hearing from clients, what are some perspectives that we as a community member can take to continue moving forward during this pandemic? Maybe to help our students or to help each other? Well, I, I think we have to, I think communication is key, right? And um, so as, as teachers return back into the classroom, and teachers are having their own emotions and how they feel. Um, I, I think I think there has to be a collaborative, collaborative place also for teachers to be able to communicate, express their feelings, express how they feel. Also, teachers have incredible ideas on how things can be implemented. So I think those are really important. Um, so, you know, even if it's somebody higher up listening, you know, I think we have to step back as leaders and, and listen to what we need. And I agree with you we can't just jump into what it was pre-pandemic because we're not jumping into how that was. It's not going to be that way. Um, I'm, I'm going to be really honest. I, I've told, I, I've talked about this a lot. I've done some teacher trainings uh, in 
the past few weeks, and I've said, I'm going to give you, this is just my recommendation, just for your the kids, your students' mental health. Don't administer any tests in class. Don't do it. Uh, they need to adjust back to normal. They need normal, meaning they need to adjust back their little brains, and, and whether it's kinder through 12th grade, doesn't matter, or even college, even college students. You can't just come back Monday and start finals prep. It's not going to work. That muscle in their brain is not trained right now. Well, how did they do it before? They just have to get back to it. I'm like, okay, this is where you're not understanding the mental health component. Let's step back. Yeah. You are not the one studying, right? <laughs> they are the ones studying. I mean, you're just, you're continuing as, you know, it's true, right? So I feel like, I mean, I, I was a teacher too. I used to teach biopsych. I used to teach neuropsych. I mean, pre-pandemic. Um, so I know the workload that goes into grading papers, creating tests. That for us teachers hasn't really changed, but I think for teachers, they've actually been working harder and harder and more hours. And Zoom is, is so exhausting. I can just imagine for them and monitoring and policing who's on, who's not on, who's turning in, not turning in. So it's been really rough on teachers. Um, but then from the student's perspective for mental health, I think right now has to be a time of readjusting, being together in the classroom. Let's do our work. Let's do in class assignments. Maybe we'll take a couple quizzes. Quizzes are good, you know, just to kind of get that muscle flowing back to what it used to be and teaching kids now how to study. So I also teach uh, organizational executive functioning, which I teach kids how to study. So I know quite a bit about this and there's, they have to get back studying well they should be they should have been doing that when they were on zoom weren't they studying when they were on zoom it's like well let's be realistic i mean you had open books you had more time you had access i mean we have to be realistic with how things were in their bedroom versus now in a classroom that's number one number two when kids were in distance learning they were all by themselves in their bedroom now Right now you have the pressure of all these other students in the classroom taking a test. They're not used to that either. So now we have increase now in test anxiety that they may have had before. So also as I'm, a, I'm an assessor, I do a lot of assessments, educational type assessments where I diagnose ADHD, anxiety, learning disabilities. One of my recommendations in there always is given the option to the student to test in a separate room if needed. Why? To decrease the test anxiety. When you talk to a student, they'll say, oh, Johnny over there, oh my gosh, he finished the test before me. He's smarter than me. And then they just freeze and they can't continue on. So imagine now going back to school, you're, you're, you're watching everyone, what they're doing, and you feel behind, you feel, you know, you don't, it's kind of, I feel like it's like a, a, a marathon runner, you know, when you're running and trying to get to the finish line, you know, you're all focused on getting to the finish line, but now you're seeing everyone else running faster than you are. So some people will run slower because they'll just give up. Oh, forget it. I'll never make it. Yeah. Or they'll walk, they'll run faster. And that's the resilience, the competitors, but not all children are wired that way or teens. So that's just my recommendation. Um, I know that's not happening. I, I just know it because now when I'm talking to students, this is their freak out, so to speak. And what they're anxious about is studying and tests. They don't know how to do it. They just forgot. And I just don't think it's necessary. This additional stress on top of suffering with all these post-traumatic issues of returning to the classroom. Um, but no one's talked about, no one's thinking about this. This is what I'm just surprised about. And I, look, I, we can't blame schools for that. I think 
if there's no one to educate exactly what I'm saying, it hasn't crossed their mind. And their mind is like, well, we're just going to jump right back into it. And we're so glad just to be back and to be back to somewhat normal. Uh, but the mental health here has been highly neglected from that standpoint. Uh, you know, we'll go back in fall and it will be a fresh new start to the new year. We will transition slowly into test taking, into quizzes and homework. And, you know, maybe over the summer, I'll give you some recommendations on how to strengthen that. And by the time we get back, we're going to be all, you know, it'll be great. I mean, under COVID, uh, you know, oh, I can't tell you how many students I have right now. F, 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 since they've gone back. Wow. And no, and, and no conversation. I ask this question all the time. Has your teacher asked you, you know, that I think there's this fear of asking about the mental health component. How are you? But I don't even think they're thinking about, well, they got the F because they're just, they're not thinking about that muscle memory that's worn out or not exercise. It's like a muscle. You don't lose it. Use it, you lose it. Yep. Yeah, and I, and I think that there's the teachers who were empathetic pre-COVID might be asking those questions. Um, teachers that weren't empathetic, they just, you know, they, they just want to, they want to get back into the classroom, may, maybe only for the reason that they just don't want to be at home. They just, you know, they just want their kids there. Um, and so with all this, you know, how, how were your Frankie books inspired by, oh. by these? So, oh, oh yeah, you can see it here. Oh my gosh. When you have the background, I can't see it. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Um, so Frankie, uh, oh gosh. So Frankie, I always say I, I did never plan the books. Uh, did I want to write? Yes. I love writing. Um, I used to, you know, I, I used to write, I kind of pre pandemic, I was just so busy, but had some time to write for LA parent magazine and just articles. And, but you know, you have to keep up with these things and just life got in the way, so to speak. And so for me, the, this, during this pandemic, it really, I mean, these are the things I'm very grateful for 2020 is it's given me this opportunity to, to do something. So both books I have right now out Frankie and the worry visa and Frankie and his homeschool adventures and a third one in the works um, are all mental health related. So Frankie and the Worry Bees came out, uh, I, you know, I, I'm, on distance, I'm on distance learning like this on Zoom during my sessions and I have to be very animated. I have to yeah. be energetic, right? To get their attention. And I, so I started using a lot of paper and, and drawings and, and, you know, I'd have them bring a paper pad and we started just drawing out ideas. Okay. So write down your negative thoughts. Let's, let's create a bubble, write down all the negative thoughts in there. That's how it started. And then on the other side, I want you to turn all those negative thoughts that you feel about yourself and about your situation into positives. Look at me and be like, well, I don't believe those things about myself. I go, I know you don't. Um, and this is adults too. This is not just my kids, teens. Um, but how about you just give this a chance? Just give it a chance, okay? So whatever you drew there, I want every day, I want you to repeat those positive thoughts. Every day. That's all I want you to do. Don't look at the negatives. We have not, we've acknowledged the negatives, right? Because we don't want to do toxic positivity, as I call it. You know, ignore the negatives. Um, and sure enough, they would come back saying, wow, Regine, I feel so much better. I feel so much better by myself. I'm able to do these things. I mean, such huge success. So then I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to turn this into a story. That's cool. Um, and that's how it happened. 
and um, it just, you know, it, it, the idea started flowing through and, you know, Frankie's story is about how anxiety shows up in different areas of our lives. Again, it's not Frank, we can, we all have an inner child within us. And um, so I think we all can connect with Frankie and he talks about how his worries show up at school, how they show up at night, you know, when you're laying down in bed and, and I, and I gave the analogy of bees swarming in your mind. Those are the negative thoughts that you can't stop. And, um, and how you have the resilience and power within yourself to shoo those bees away. You do have the power and the ability. And it's a lot of self-talking, right, to yourself. Because it is that second voice coming through and saying, you know what, I'm not going to think about this right now. I know that's important. Maybe I'll just journal it here but I'm going to really try to sleep or I'm going to try to say something positive about that. And, um, had a lot of success with it in terms of client success, right. And, and them really resonating with this and they felt good and, and, um, they were vibrating higher. They just felt so energized and motivated. Uh, so that's how that one came. And, uh, and yeah, it's been wonderful. That's, that's fun. And, um, was there a Frankie in your life? Oh gosh, I think we all have a Frankie, right? Okay. I, I yes, and I chose a boy character. Um, you know, now my my idea changed because I, I have a girl. My third book is a girl character. Oh, okay. I was told I did a lot of surveys, and well, the girl's not going to read a boy's book, and a boy's not going to read a girl book. I'm like, eh, okay, I had a problem with that. I'm like, you know, this whole gender identity. I'm like well, you know, okay. And, and whoever I surveyed the kids and, you know, they, they were just saying the same thing. So that's why I went with Frankie. Um, but I, I feel that, yes, I certainly, Frankie represents the child within all of us. Right. And, you know, I think we all have worries and the one beautiful thing is how his mom supported him through this process and identified that, Hey, she struggles too sometimes. And I think that's really important in terms of parenting, right? And even us as teachers or adult or whatever profession we're in, even if you're a CEO of a company or whatever you're doing, is to be able to empathize with whoever's coming at you with any issues. So, wow, I, I know you're struggling on this. You know, that's happened to me before in a different situation. I, I, I can get that. I know life gets hard sometimes and you, I, you need some extra time. Okay, no problem. When, when do you think you can get this to me? You know? And I think that's what you were talking earlier, Fred, is about empathy, right? And compassion. And that's what the book is all about, is how we as adults, kids always think that adults don't deal with that or they don't deal with anything, but we do. And it's all about how we normalize the situation, how we communicate, and kids need to feel that stability, just like a student needs to feel stability from a teacher. And if they feel that the teacher's there to help them and support them, they feel good. Even us as adults, right? If we think about our elderly parents, um, I'm still that little girl, right? With my, very close to my dad. And I'm still that, you know, little girl where, you know, you kind of, as they get older, I think it's hard to watch them, um, you know, lose that, you know, they kind of do lose a little bit of that authority because, you know, they, they may develop dementia or um, you notice that they're not as strong as they used to be. So that's painful too. Uh, but anyways, we always feel that connection with one another. And I think that's the gist of the book is being able to talk together, communicate, 
and normalize anxiety. I always like to normalize it that it's, it's a lot of people struggle and go through these things. It's just how you communicate about it and what you choose to do with that. Wow. I can't wait to read those books. And also I just want to make a note that like I've met little girls named Frankie, so it could be <laughs> both gender. <laughs> but True. I think that's cute. But yeah, I think kids like to see themselves reflected in, in the books. So uh, it's yeah. good to mix it up. Yes, I have I have an activity at the end where I, I have a Francine. Um, she's the girl character, and the activity has Frankie and Francine. And so the third book coming out is going to be Francine and her special talents. Um, and it's all about showcasing that it's not just about sports. She, she doesn't make it on the soccer team, right? So this is very U.S.-like, right? You didn't... <laughs> True. I mean, I know my daughters, my both daughters are into theater. They're very heavily into acting. They love theater, stage work, etc. And she's so bummed out. She's like, why is sports back? But theater's not back. This is not fair. She's so angry. She goes, that's my sport. Um, so that really inspired me for this third book because I'm like, darn it, she's right. And, and all my theater kids that I work with, because they're so mad that they don't get to be on stage. I'm like, what's the difference? We could be outside doing this. We don't, right? Um, and it's showing how Francine doesn't make it on the soccer team and she comes home so upset and feels so devalued like she is not worth anything because she didn't make it and she's not good enough. And so her aunt comes into town and says, uh, you know, takes her for a walk. So the aunt represents this mentor to her and says, well, wait a minute. What else are you good at? Because it's not just about sports. It's not just about soccer or basketball or football or whatever it is. What else are you really good at? And she goes, wow, well, I'm good at singing. I'm good at sewing. I'm good at saxophone. I mean, these are all things I would have loved to do. And so the aunt just tells her how, well, you could make that into a sport, meaning that could be your activity where you could really expand on that, right? So it's showing kids to not give up on other talents that they're really good at and that that could be as good as a sport, right? Um I know my, my daughter will tell me, oh, well, gosh, I, I don't have that volleyball, those volleyball skills, and I'm not going to make it into college with a scholarship. Like, you see where their mind goes with sports, right? Where they're just not, they're, they, they're not into athletics as much. Um, and so that really puts a damper. And there's a lot of kids like that out there who, who feel that way, where they don't have that connection and they just feel lost with the competition like they won't be as important or considered, you know, considered, or if they had a rowing or rowing, I think is another, what's a, what's another big sport? I think rowing, golfing, right. Where they're not as looked upon, but I, th I think that's one of the issues, right. With society is, is these are as important. I love yeah, that. And, that. and that's what's, that's, what's bringing a lot of, you know, a lot of our students down, uh, you know, and, and that's that's why, like, one of the things through through the nonprofit that 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 I have is just working with kids where they are, and let's let's build some leadership opportunities in them, um, because everyone could be a leader. Um, you know, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't. You know, and and we don't care. Even though I used to coach, and 
believe me, as you can see, you know, in my background, sports is like a huge thing in my life. Um, I, you know, I do understand that there's artists, um, you know, that there's, that there's kids that don't want to do anything, but they could be a leader. Um, you know, and so I, I think, yeah, I, I would be excited to read, to read your book. How would, how would people be able to access your, your, your books? Yes. Uh, so there are going to be, so the two, the two I have now, Frankie and the Worry Bees and the Homeschool Adventures is on Amazon. So they could purchase okay. one. Um, also go to my website, uh, regimeradian.com. Uh, I have a book section there, one click. And, um, and I've been doing, uh, especially for Frankie and the Worry Bees, uh, you know, there was, I want to mention that there was a war that happened in Armenia and Artsakh. Mm -hmm. um, and all my books, all, all the proceeds, uh, donations, I've been able to purchase, send money there. They've been able to purchase backpacks for a lot of the kids who wow. don't have, you know, they just, they've lost their homes. They've lost so much. Uh, so a lot of, I mean, it's not much, right? I mean, the proceeds going out there, but it's something. And, um, so it's going to a good cause. And uh, so I'm so glad to, to continue that and just to support. And I just had the book translated into Armenia. In Armenian, it's actually on its way there as we speak so that wow. kids can they don't speak English over there so that they mm -hmm. get an opportunity. That's wonderful. Yes, to, to talk about these worries because, you know, Armenia is another, you know, uh, country where mental health, a lot of mental health stigma, where we don't really talk about our emotions and feelings and mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's a, a really, again, my way of giving back. Sure. Beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. So we're going to wrap it up, but we like to ask our guests a final question, and we want to know what your call to action is. Oh, gosh. I, oh, that's a great question. Um, my, my call to action is really, honestly, as, as we've been talking today, is to serve and give back. Um, and and to create change, right? Even if it's a small change, it's, it's a change. And, you know, if anyone, my call to action really were these books. And if this one book can make a difference in a kid's life and change their perspective or change a parent's perspective on how they communicate, how they see anxiety or how we open up the conversation around mental health. And, uh, you know, now the schools were calling behavioral health, right? Stressors. Uh, that's an accomplishment and I, I feel like I've done my job and uh, for me success is not how many books I sold it's about that one life I changed um, and helped so that's that's the most important to me so as I get these messages on on Instagram um, you know I have an Instagram page with a lot of information just updates it's Dr. Rajin Maradi and I get pictures all the time and you know parents who feel very inspired and so that to me is it means the world. That's Lovely. beautiful. Regine, thank you so much for your time today, and thanks for all your work with students and kids around the world. And I just really enjoyed hearing about your experiences today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me.